Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like me, one simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating also makes this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that'll make this type of abuse worse. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma, and Rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need real support, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org. We'd love to see you in a session today. Jane and I are continuing our conversation. We actually recorded this long ago and it's airing now. I didn't realize that I would have personal experience with this particular topic when we recorded this. In May, my good friend, Leah Moses, um, her husband called and told me that her son had been murdered by Parth Gandhi. So you can look this up. I was on the news quite a bit and our social media covered it. The news did a terrible job. They took the court documents and they said, oh, this was a prolonged legal battle. And uh, they couldn't figure out who the perpetrator was, even though the proof was right there. He was a murderer. He had murdered his son. There's no more proof. And as I looked at that and thought, if murdering your own son isn't proof, there's never going to be enough proof for them, not for the media, not for the courts. At first, it gave me hope that maybe we could bring, like, some attention to the issue. And then I got kind of, like, super depressed because I thought, if this doesn't help people see it, what would? I'm kind of still struggling with everything. And so sad uh, for Leah and sad for all victims who have to go through this. Anyway, if if you search on BTR.org, Leah Moses, you can find the press release that um, Danielle Pollock wrote and I helped to try to educate people about this issue. And then Jane and I are talking about it today on the episode. I just wanted to let you know that when when I interviewed her about this, I didn't have personal experience with it yet. So I will be doing an episode on that later. That's just taking me a while to process like my own personal experience and how difficult it was. If you didn't hear my interviews with Jane before this and her introduction, then go back a few episodes, listen to that first, and then join us here. And we're going to get right to the conversation. So today we're going to be talking about how media influences us. And in relation to this podcast, especially how media influences how we perceive consent or how we perceive relationships and also how we perceive violence against women. So let's start there. What is your feeling about how media influences the way that we perceive relationships? I think it's huge. I think we really, really underestimate how much the the things that we don't really notice influence the way we think. And it's, it's one of the things I say a lot is the most 
dangerous ideas are the ones that we don't really notice that we have. So the idea that women are responsible for abusive things that men do, how many headlines have you seen about the the jealous lover, the jilted husband, the... Even if they just say they were having an argument as if the two of them were causing the problem and it just ended badly. Yeah, yep. Cheating wife, you know, common thing in a headline. And it's all about saying that men aren't responsible for what they do when they get angry or when they lose control of their emotions that men can't be held responsible for the actions that they commit because it's women that drive them to it. And it happens a lot in headlines, but it also happens in other kinds of media, like in um, the TV shows and the movies and the video games that we consume all the time where you don't even really notice it. But if you start to look for it, you know, that thing of once you've seen something, you can't unsee it. Mm -hmm. When you start to look for it, suddenly it's almost like it's everywhere. Women are responsible for men's choices. We drive them to it, right? We make them so angry, so jealous that they just lose control and then it's our fault. But actually, if you think about it, the reverse would never be true. And it's not true. Women who, on the very, very rare occasions that women do commit violence, and it happens, they're monsters, they're evil, there is no excuse. But we don't talk about men in the same way. Because this idea that that women drive men to the terrible choices that they make. I think that's uh, really evident with self-defense kinds of things. So for example, if, if another man comes into another man's house and the man shoots the guy in self-defense, everyone's like, yeah, self-defense, no problem. But if a woman is being raped and she shoots him, People are like, mm, she committed murder. Like rape isn't really a good reason to like murder someone. Have you ever heard of stuff like that? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. If you think about it, say if a man went to kiss another man, like a, a sexual kiss, and the man who was being kissed reacted really badly and punched him in the face. Most people, yeah, sure. But if a yeah. man went to kiss a woman who didn't want to be kissed and she reacted with violence, and whoa, him in the face. yeah. Why are you overreacting like that? So it's when you, if you try and put it in those other situations, and it, I want to be a bit careful of that because it can can sound a bit like gay men go around kissing straight men all the time. They don't. If you reverse it and go, well, would that still make sense? If, like as you say, if a, if a woman is being attacked and she fights back, and she's to blame for fighting back, well, what was she wearing? You know that kind of stuff. If you're seeing things where the person who chose to commit the violence and violence is always a choice, no matter what you're told, violence is always a choice. If a person who made that choice is not responsible for it in the way that it's being depicted, then something's a bit off. And then again, you reverse it and you put a woman in that situation. Would she be held responsible for making that choice? Yes, you would. Would, would you ever say, well, a woman who forced sex on a man she had no choice. He was flirting with her. He was wearing tight little pants. He was smiling and winking at her. He drove her to it and she was just so overcome by lust that what else could she do? Like it sounds ridiculous when you put it like that, right? Right. But that kind of thing would be, oh, well, yeah, you know, that can happen. Men lose control of themselves. And if she was really flirting with him and teasing him and, you know, wearing a skimpy little top and showing off, well, what did she think was going to happen? 
he was flirting with her. He was wearing, you know, he just had his T-shirt off. He was showing up all his muscles. What did he think was going to happen? And it's so ridiculous that it's almost funny. Well, I'm laughing. Yeah, right? After podcasting and doing what I do, I have a very dark sense of humor. (laughs) I apologize. (laughs) I don't apologize, actually, but yes, it's ridiculous. If you can do that juxtaposition and it becomes ridiculous, then you know that something is going wrong there because women are not responsible for men's choices. We have to stop infantilizing men, right? Adult men are as responsible for their choices as adult women. And to be really clear here, I'm not talking about children or teenagers where they're in that shadow lands halfway between child and adult. When we're talking about adults, they have the ability to make choices. They do make choices. And violence is a choice. When people will say to me, oh, but, you know, but sometimes you just lose control and sometimes you get so angry you can't stop yourself. And you say, okay, sure. But think about in a relationship, how do they behave in front of other people? And almost 99% of the time, an abusive man is not abusive in front of other people. He does it in private, which means he's choosing, which means he can control it. Well, and also think about the grooming. He can groom for extended periods of time when he needs to. He can act very loving. He can act very caring. So he knows how to do it. Yeah. And the other thing to think about too, in that framing of it, when we're, when we're talking about the media, is most of the, the news media that we see when we're talking about violent or abusive men, it's done through crime and court reporting, right? Um, somebody's been arrested, somebody's in court, somebody's been charged, the police are investigating. And the court process is based on this idea of innocent until proven guilty. I would never, ever want to mess with that because it's so important when you've got the power of the state against a single individual, you need to have some way of balancing that power. And that's why we have the, the presumption of innocence. But that's in a court setting. And the reason we have that presumption of innocence is because the state can incarcerate you. In some states in the US, they can kill you. You need to have something to say, well, if you have the power to take away my freedom or to take away my life, then I have to have something to balance that back, right? But in a relationship, that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about two people who should be on a fairly equal level. So the presumption of innocence doesn't apply there. You're not talking about the entire power of the state and the police and the DA and all the people who can investigate and punish you. You're talking about two people having a conversation about what's going on. So the presumption of innocence there is always assuming that that the man is innocent and the woman is lying. That's bad in a court situation. It's necessary, but bad. And any victim who's been in court for any kind of abuse or violence will tell you that that assumption means we're assuming you're lying. So all I need to do is just get reasonable doubt about whether or not you're lying. So I just need to make you into a liar. And all this is reported in the media and reported that way. So again, we're framing it in this idea of he's innocent till he's proven guilty. She's probably lying. And that's the basis that all of this reporting comes on. And then that translates into relationships. I'm innocent till you've proven that I'm guilty. You're probably lying. So all I need to do is convince you or other people that you're lying or that there's even a possibility that you're lying. And therefore, that means I'm innocent. And that doesn't work in a relationship where you're sharing things with each other. 
It's not about proving something. It's about saying, this is how I feel. I feel like I can't trust you. I feel like I'm not safe with you. I feel scared. I feel unsure. I feel insecure. And having somebody else listen to that and say, well, that's really concerning that you feel that way. What can we do to help you feel better about yourself? What can we do so that you can find a way to feel better? Not about proving innocence or guilt. Because you don't need to prove how you feel, right? I feel sad. I don't need to prove that. I just feel that and I'm telling you that. I feel scared. I feel like I can't trust you. That's not, you don't need to prove how you feel. I don't know the specific cases in the US that it's happened, where it's happened, where the, a man who's killed his wife or killed his children is reported as a good guy, a loving father, a good man. But I know it's happened because it happens everywhere in the world and it happens here a lot. We had a case a few years ago where a man killed his wife, his daughter and his three grandchildren. I think the youngest was three. And he was reported as a loving father. And it was just obscene. And it, it developed this huge debate in Australia about journalists, I swear to you, debating about whether you can call a man who killed his wife, his child and his grandchildren, whether it's okay to say that he's a good guy. And women in Australia were just like, I'm sorry, what? He's just killed his family. Of course he's not a good guy. Why were they arguing for it? Because one of the things that journalists will do after something like that happens is they'll go and interview people in the community, like people in his church or people in his sports group or people in his, you know, on his football team, that kind of stuff, and they'll interview people. And somebody inevitably will say, oh, but he was such a great guy. Because they weren't married to him. They weren't living with him. They saw him once a week where he's doing that really good guy act, and that was all they ever saw. And so journalists will say, well, it's a legitimate thing to report because somebody said it. And if you search hard enough, you know, people used to say Ted Bundy was a great guy. Right. Really, he was not. <laughs> yeah. Right? Objectively speaking, it yeah. is correct reporting to say yeah. he was not a good guy. Yes. Before we get back to the conversation, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue. Or they try to quote unquote treat the victim and the abuser in the same setting. That's unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. Well, just because you can find somebody who says that he was doesn't mean it's true. It's, I often say this, it's, it's not like I think journalists are sitting somewhere stroking a white cat and thinking of ways that they can come up to excuse the terrible things that some men do to, to women. I think a lot of it happens without them really knowing it, but it's particularly when it's men that journalists feel similar to. If journalists can make sure that it's some other, he's not a good guy like me, that he's nothing like me and my friends and the men that I know, he's, he's the, the balaclava-clad stranger that jumps out of the bushes at you, then that's okay. But if it's, and as often is, somebody that they can think, oh, that could be my friend, that could be my brother, or even worse, that could be me. They've got to find a way to make it either it's not his fault, so he's such a good guy who just snapped, or she drove him to it, or there's a way that we can make him into a monster. 
because it's so hard to believe, and this is not just men for all of us, it is so hard to believe that men that we love and respect and care about, men who are our friends or our family or our colleagues, can be abusive. But I can guarantee you, if you know 10 men, you know a man who has been abusive to a woman. Yes. And that is sometimes really, really hard to face up to. And it's it's like the... It's almost like it's a not all men thing and not all men is not, they're not defending all men, they're defending themselves. Not all men are abusive. What they're really saying is you're talking about me and I'm not like that. And usually I find the ones that are the most defensive about that are the ones that I'm looking at going, really, why do you, why does this matter so much to you? Why are you getting so angry about this? Hmm. But that need to say to everybody that it's not his fault, he's not a bad guy, he just snapped, he just lost control for a moment, but he's actually a good guy, is about saying men are not responsible for these things. We are not responsible for this. Women drive us to it. And until we can all say we are all responsible for our own choices, we are adults. I may not be able to control how I feel, but I can control what I do. You can feel anger sometimes or jealousy or sadness or all kinds of emotions that maybe you didn't have a choice about feeling that. But you do have a choice about what you do. And if you choose to pick up a gun and shoot somebody, that is a choice. And the only person responsible for that is you. If you get really, really angry and go, okay, I'm going to go and go to the gym and have a session with a punching bag or I'm going to run and run and run until I almost vomit or I'm going to go and talk to my friends and let it all out. They're all choices. Or I'm so angry that I'm going to hurt somebody. That is equally a choice. Yeah. Right now, the pornography addiction recovery industrial complex, that I like to call it, likes to make the cause be shame. Because he felt shame, then he used porn. Or because he felt shame, he had an affair. And I'm like, you know what? I feel shame and I eat ice cream. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? There are so many options. And he could have done this. There's a number of things he could have done. Like, that has nothing to do with it. That's not the cause of him choosing porn. The cause was him choosing it. And particularly with something like that, where it's an ongoing choice. It's not just that he chose it once, he's choosing it again and again and again, and then he's choosing to lie about it, and then he's choosing to do it again, and then he's choosing to not try to change, and then he's choosing to lie about it again. That's a pattern of behavior, right? Exactly. And then he's choosing to lie that he is trying to change, because he's not actually trying to change, right? So yeah, it's, it is very, very problematic the shame causes this or anger causes it. One idea that has been floating around in my head and I'm trying to like process it and bring it to words. So maybe you can help me. When domestic abuse experts talk about like coercive control, one of the thoughts that I keep having is recognizing how actually powerless they are. So for example, you only have power if you can have power over you have a king and he's supposed to be like I rule over all of you without taking power from somebody without stealing it without coercing it without manipulating it they have no power by themselves the thing that makes them the most powerless 
is that they refuse to take responsibility for themselves. Because true, true, true power is taking responsibility for yourself. That's when any adult is going to gain the most power to move forward, have a healthy life. And if someone is continually refusing to take accountability and responsibility for themselves, that is going to render them absolutely powerless because they have to find somebody else to take responsibility for them. I'm just like trying to flesh these thoughts out because victims are really powerful. They do take responsibility for themselves. They have so much power that they've taken responsibility accidentally for two people. Yeah, but it's not even accidentally. They're manipulated into it. Oh, yes, absolutely. You often don't realize when you're in that situation because it's it's like the frog in the, the boiling water. It starts slowly and you don't realize that it's happening. And then you look back and think, how did I become this person where I feel like I'm responsible because my husband is is gambling or drinking or watching porn or cheating and it's my fault. I'm doing something wrong. So I'm going to try and change so he will be better. Jane and I are going to pause the conversation here and pick it up next week. So stay tuned. If this podcast was helpful to you, please help us reach other women by pushing that follow or subscribe button and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping get the word out. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.